Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30, Sunday morning, and it's definitely time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, of course, we have to welcome back Stephen Ryan from Dixoni Rare Plants. Morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. If it is actually morning, it was very dark coming down this morning. It's extremely dark and (laughs) foggy. Yeah, it's it's certainly... Autumn's hit with a flourish, actually. It's sort of... One day it was sort of summer and the next day it seemed to be autumn. Exactly. Um, so, uh, yes, it's definitely upon us now mm. and uh, things are going autumnal. There's leaves turning, there's you know, nareens popping up and flowering and all those sort of things. I noticed I've got Sternbergias, those lovely little yellow crocus-like flowers, out in the garden at the moment. So, yeah, so it's very, very, very much autumn. Absolutely. I must say I always get a bit worried when we get um, fog on a dark morning, because I'm, um, I'm sure, AB, you're aware of it too. I'm always worried a kangaroo's going to mm. jump out at me. A big one, a huge one jumped out at me this morning. Actually. Oh, yeah. yes, yeah. okay. Yes. A go- it's a bit frightening. A ghost fr- in the fog. Yes. Yeah. No, you've got to be so careful. But anyway, good morning, officially, oh, AB. Yes, good morning. <laughs> and Stephen, I'm sorry, but I have to disagree with you. We haven't gone from summer into autumn. We've oh. gone from autumn into autumn. Yeah. There was, really wasn't much summer at all, was Actually, there? I think, I think there were, overall there might have been a week of summer. Yeah, well, and, you're and probably right, AB, but you know what? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually had a quite relaxed summer this year. I mean, bushfire-wise, yeah, bushfire-wise, yeah, didn't ripen as many tomatoes, but big deal. Um, sweet corn's been fabulous, just a bit late. Um, yeah, and I haven't had that awful sort of I've been welded to a hose feeling uh, that I often get in the summer. Yes. So, yeah, so for me, it's been a comparatively relaxed and pleasant um, summer, really. Um, and I wouldn't mind another one. <laughs> <laughs> we also have to say a very good morning to James Beatty. Good morning, James. Good morning, Pam. How are you this morning? Not too bad. What have you been up to? Oh, you know, enjoying enjoying the mild summer like everyone else and um, waiting for a little touch of summer to come back next week. I think we're going to get to 29. <laughs> yes, if it gets there. It's, it seems crazy to think we're going to leap from, you know, know, one extreme to the other almost, but anyway. I had a sister move down from Brisbane at the beginning of last year oh. and um, so she's just kind of ticked over her first calendar year in Melbourne and she's been saying, God, I'm glad I didn't move down this year because if she did, she thinks she just would have moved straight back to Brisbane because it's been such a cold oh, start yes, to autumn. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But oh, there was well. an article in The Age a couple of weeks ago saying it was the first the first summer in 10 years that they didn't get over 40 degrees in the CBD. Mm. Um, and, well, that's easy to believe with how mild it's been. But, mm. um, but they did predict mm. it was going to be the hottest summer. Well, yeah. that's right. So that I wonder what went wrong. Uh, well, their prediction get... mainly. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> usually they're relatively, you know, correct, yeah. relatively spot on. Yeah. But yeah, yeah so we're well year. off base this time. Yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> well but on a good note, we are getting the autumn colour colour early. Yeah, yeah we? we are. It's stunning out there yeah. at the moment. Coming I was in. up around Trentham and Woodend last weekend. Um, my partner and I went to go and see uh, Frogmore Gardens. It's looking great this time of year, and um, yeah, lots of trees starting to colour up up that way. Okay. So I think we might have to make a special trip in the next couple of weeks to see it in its full glory. I think so, Mm. yes. It's going to be a good one with Mm. a bit of luck. Yes, hopefully. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to get straight into some community announcements. Uh, First one is uh, today is the second day of the autumn plant sale. 
uh, for um, of Australian plants. Now, this is for the Growing Friends Group at Royal Botanic Gardens in Cranbourne. Now, uh, it's running 10 a.m. this morning through till 4 o'clock. They've got a wide range there of Australian plants in tubes and larger pots, um, priced from $3, and uh, people should be encouraged to go down, purchase some plants, and then have a good look around the Australian garden. Also, um, now men- mentioning this one early because you have to book by the 10th of April. Now, this is the, um, the all-day workshop, um, again, down at Royal Botanic Gardens, Cranbourne. Now, it's taking place on Saturday the 18th of April, um, but as I said, um, there, uh, you do have to book um, by the 10th, so uh, I am mentioning it now. Now, <coughs> the workshop is all about uh, eucalyptus and its close relatives, and uh, there's some... Carimbia! Um, yes, Carimbia <laughs> indeed. <laughs> well <Sorry>. done. <laughs> Starting early. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get in there. Uh. Okay, so uh, guest speaker is Dr. Dean Nicole, uh, creator of the famous Currency Creek Arboretum in southeastern South Australia and one of the world's leading eucalyptus specialists. And uh, Dean will also guide uh, everyone in selecting eucalypts for home gardens. Uh, He's got a forthcoming book on the subject about to be published. The other guest speaker will be Dr. Frank uh, Udovici, who's Manager of Plant Sciences and Biodiversity at the National Herbarium of Victoria, based at RBG Melbourne. Now, uh, he has been very much involved in solving some of the botanical quandaries. He'll be covering the evolution, uh, fossil records, and also the relationship of the genera uh, Angophora and uh, Carimbia. So there you go. So the workshop will be held in the Australian Gardens Auditorium. Uh, The day starts at 9.30 and concludes at about 4.30. Now, it's BYO lunch, or you can um, order a lunch from the cafe there. Uh, Cost for the day is $75. Bookings are essential, and as I mentioned, they close on the 10th of April. Now, if you'd like further information or a booking form, you can phone 8774-2483. Now, I should also mention coming up, because of course everything is happening in April now, it's just around the corner. Um, Saturday the 11th of April is the Gippsland Rare and Unusual Plant Fair for 2015. Now, I know this is always a great day. There'll be lots and lots of different stall holders there selling all sorts of amazing uh, plants, many of them rare. Uh, There'll be people like Post Office Farm there with their hellebores. Um, There'll be Hancock's Bulbs. There'll be the Australian Bulb Country. Country Farm Perennials will be out there, and uh, the list goes on. Now, in conjunction with that, uh, I think they've got... um, uh, two eateries, an antique shop, an art gallery uh, at uh, Jindavik and also, of course, is the Jindavik Country Garden Rare Plant Nursery there. As well as that, Broughton Hall is going to be open to the public, the gardens there, on both uh, the 11th and the 12th of April and uh, that's opening through Australian Open Garden Scheme. If you'd like more information, you can phone David and his number there is 5628 5316. 
Now, talking about uh, Open Gardens Australia, um, I'm delighted to mention uh, uh, that uh, we have uh, three gardens opening in the Yarra Valley and one of those gardens um, is uh, they're donating... uh, a percentage of their takings to the 3CR gardening show. So um, that is extremely generous of them. Now, these three gardens are opening on Saturday the 11th, Sunday the 12th of April. And uh, the one in particular that is uh, supporting the gardening show is one called Christie's Bouquet. It's a spacious garden of great diversity. There's mature trees. There's an eclectic mix of bird-attracting natives and Beds brimmed full of massed, colourful perennials, including 80 species of salvia. Now, the address for Christie's Bouquet is 11 Forge Road in Mount Evelyn. The other two gardens are Nunsuch, uh, which is in Lilydale, and Garden of Hope, which is in Park Orchards. Now, all gardens are open from 10am through to 4.30 on both days. Entry to each garden is $8, with children under 18 um, admitted free. And I know uh, Virginia is going to be up in that garden. I'm going to be up there on the Sunday. So uh, if people like to come up, uh, have a look around the garden, um, say hello to us and uh, realise that you are helping support the 3CR Gardening Show, which is fantastic. Just a couple more I should get through. Um, the uh, Let me see. Um, there's an autumn lecture coming up. Now, this is uh, from um, Friends... No, I'm not sure. They haven't even put it on there. I should know who this is with. I'll find out. But uh, anyway, it's a, it's an autumn lecture um, which is being held at the Mueller Hall at the Herbarium, which, of course, is in Birdwood Avenue. And it's all about botanical gardens and the relevance in our community. Now, it's an overview of what is a botanical garden, how these gardens have evolved and the influence on our lives today. Now, um, as I said, it's uh, being held at Mueller Hall, uh, 6 o'clock for 6.30 start. Uh, And the talk is being given by Elizabeth Gilfillan. She's past president of the Friends of Ballarat Botanic Gardens. She's an inaugural member uh, for 31 years there, currently working with City of Ballarat to redevelop the early Victorian fernery, reflecting the past with a view to the future. Now, uh, she's also current uh, secretary of the Australian Association of Friends of Botanic Gardens. Now, uh, cost is um, $25 to the public, uh, students $10. Now, you do need to book, obviously. If you, uh, you can either... Um, Book online at trybooking.com forward slash capitals GSTW or for inquiries or phone bookings, you can phone Lisa Tuck. Her number is 0418-590-891. Now, uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens um, have got a succulent workshop coming up and uh, this workshop will be giving you the chance to create a beautiful framed wall hanging out of succulents. Uh, all the materials will be supplied, including the frames and the plants. Now, again, it's on Saturday the 18th of April at Burnley College, 10am through to 1pm. Cost is $65 for uh, members of Friends of Burnley, $80 for non-members. Again, bookings are essential 
That number to book on is 9035 6861 or you can email a.smith at au. Stephen, you've got a... Yes, no. a sort of, in a way, a, a slightly sad opening. Um, the Emergency Management Institute up at Mount Macedon, which has been part of our community for a long, long time, is being closed by the federal government and the remnant staff who wish to go are being moved up to Canberra. So, you know, uh, that institute's been there since well before the Ryans moved to Mount Macedon in the 1960s, so um, uh, it has been a part of our community for a long, long time. And for those who have been there, it's got a fabulous garden um, surrounding the uh, uh, facilities uh, with a stream running down through the middle of it and bridges and and ponds and beautiful old trees because the property itself actually dates well back before it was an emergency management institute. It was a a Catholic school for a while and prior to that it was a golf house uh, going right back sort of to the beginning of the last century. So there's some lovely old trees there. There's uh, a big cone pine. There's all sorts of unusual oak. There's really amazing plants. Now, the staff at the college, or institute, I should say, uh, it's had many names since I was a kid as well, by the way. I think they just keep stationary people going by changing their name every 10 minutes. (laughs) Uh, They're going to have a sort of final farewell. Um, So the staff have decided to open the garden. Uh, There is no cost. It's free admission. Uh, It will be on the afternoon of Friday the 10th of April. So it's a slightly odd sort of opening time, but anyhow, it's from 2 to 4.30 on Friday the uh, 10th of April. Uh, There's no admission charge. Uh, Parking is in Waterfalls Road behind the the complex, Uh, although you can come in from the front gates if you're um, on foot. Uh, And it's a lovely rambly garden with lots of exotic trees. There should be plenty of autumn colour to look at. Mm. Uh, And the gardens were started about 1919. So, you know, it's a fairly important um, property on the mountain. And goodness knows what will happen to it long term. So uh, I'm assuming fairly soon the government We'll put it up for sale, but goodness knows what will end up happening with it. So that's the Emergency Management Institute um, at um, 601 Mount Macedon Road. And, um, yeah, it would be great for everybody to go up and have a a final look at it because it may well end up being some sort of closed-up property that nobody can get into. Who knows? Exactly. So, Stephen, what was its function? Uh, Well, it was um, a training ground for people who had to work with emergency situations. So, you know, if there were aeroplane crashes, if there were tsunamis, if there were earthquakes, any sort of... Uh, disaster, uh, people would go there for training to uh, learn how to cope with those sorts of issues, uh, bushfires obviously, all those sorts of things. Um, and in lots of ways it's particularly sad I think because a lot of the people that have worked in that institute and, and have bonded as a group are not going on to Canberra. I mean they're local people mm. and they're staying where they're, where, where they're put. So potentially the government is hu- losing a huge amount of um, acquired knowledge uh, from all these people who have been working in the institute for many, many years. And it will never be quite the same thing again. So it's, you know, it's the end of an era and it's very sad. So, um, and let's hope that whatever they do institute in Canberra turns out to be even vaguely as effective as what the Emergency Management Institute has been over the years. So, time will tell. Anyhow, so that's happening up on the Mount. Slightly sad, but um, well worth coming up to have a, a look at as your potential final look at the gardens of the Institute. Mm, absolutely. Okay. There's just one last one that I'm going to mention. Now, I did mention this last week. Um, there's a cider-making workshop coming up. Now, uh, 
This is at uh, Heritage Fruit Trees out in Beaufort. But it's going to be a full day and it sounds quite fascinating if you've... Uh, if you've got your own uh, apple trees and you're interested in learning a bit about how to make some cider, um, two guest speakers. Uh, the first one is going to be uh, Peter George, who was a former research chemist, and he started making cider to utilise his backyard apple tree. Now, he specialises in small batches of cider making, made with purely uh, a juicer and a few basic items sourced from his local brew shop. Uh, the other speaker is Keith Robertson, who's devoted decades to hone his cider-making methods, and he uh, uh, processes much larger quantities of surplus fruit, and uh, the end result is that he makes ciders, fruit wines, and liqueurs. Now, it's a full program. There'll be morning tea on arrival. You arrive from 9.30 uh, for a 10 o'clock start. Go through the theories of the fundamentals of successful cider-making, uh, then there'll be a demonstration, making cider on the kitchen bench with Peter George. There'll be an orchard walk before lunch. Lunch will be an apple-inspired uh, lunch, of course. Tartare, I hope. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very likely. And some Kelvados to finish off with, oh, perhaps. Perfect, yes, yes. perfect, be, yes. Be ideal. Um, there's going to be cider tasting, a range of commercial and craft ciders. Um, there'll be, then be a demonstration of making cider in the shed with Keith Robertson. And there'll be a Q&A to round off the day with... Uh, and uh, the whole thing includes um, written notes, as I say, and uh, tea and coffee on arrival and, uh, and the lunch. So uh, it's a 9.30 start, finishing approximately about uh, 3.30. Now, the cost uh, is $190 for the day. Um, because there's an orchard walk included... Uh, People are reminded to dress for the weather and uh, wear some um, decent leather shoes or boots, carry some water if it's hot. Now, to book, um, you can book online by going to lifestylefarming.com.au and it will all come up there. Otherwise, uh, do I have a phone number? I don't think I do offhand. So that's probably the easiest way of booking. Go to lifestylefarming.com.au. You could actually um, write, um, and it's Heritage Fruit Trees, P.O. Box 35, Beaufort, 3373. And uh, as I say, the whole uh, day will take place out in Beaufort. Uh, you'll get given the address when you book. Um, and I should mention that as part of the day, they'll be uh, giving their 100-year-old W.O. Hickok Cider Mill a bit of a run. So that's yeah. going to be – that'll be fun to watch too. What day is it on, Pam? Uh, it's on the 19th of April. So uh, plenty of time to get in, have a look at the full day's program and uh, then, uh, then book in if you're interested in learning more about cider. Okay, well, it's more than time we opened up our talkback lines for listeners. If you'd like to join the gardening show this morning, if you've got a question, if you want to make a comment, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. Or if you'd like to speak to Liz, who's on the outside line this morning, 94198377. Stephen, while we're waiting for some calls, let's start with your plants. All right, well, I'm actually... 
Well, not completely, but slightly doing a tropical-esque theme this morning. Okay. Um, uh, I don't see any reason why not, even though autumn's here, why you can't be sitting with your uh, you know, beach hat on, we drinking can a pina colada, you know, out in the garden, whatever. We can dream. Yeah, we can dream, especially at Macedon. Yes. Um, <laughs> it does intrigue me that people... Well, no, it doesn't intrigue me. It seems logical to me that people who garden always want to do what they can't do. Of course. You know, it's, it's part of the fun of gardening is to push the barriers, try and do what you can't do. Now, Macedon is not renowned for its tropical climate, I have to say. But that doesn't mean I can't have plants that sort of exude a tropicalness about them, um, that give you that sort of, you know, verdant, green, lush sort of effect that you expect from the tropics. Um I don't want my garden to be full of completely full of bare sticks all winter. I wanted to sort of have some interest in the winter as well. And so I've got a few plants that I can rely on that are quite cold hardy, but give me a slightly tropical look. And one of my favourite plants, and I use it, well, it uses itself a lot in my garden is probably the way to put it, because <laughs> uh, this plant self-seeds itself is a plant called Melanocelinum discipiens. Uh, it's commonly known as Triangelica here, although my favourite common name for it is actually Parsnip Palm. Um, uh, I haven't heard that common name used here, but if you go in and Google the plant, it comes up as one of its common names, and I just love it, a parsnip palm. How great is that? <laughs> you really, you, looking at it, you really can see. Yeah, it's yeah, got, it's it got parsnip-y-looking yes, leaves and all that sort of thing. Fronds. Now, Melanocelinum falls into a group of plants uh, that are in the carrot family, so all that sort of group of plants. So it's, it's in that group, so it, it's related to parsnips and, and angelica and all those plants. But it has a slightly odd growth um, cycle. Uh, it's um, monocarpic, so it only ever flowers once and then dies. Okay. Uh, and you can never be quite sure when one's going to do it. I've had quite young plants suddenly throw flowers and die. Uh, I've had plants that have lasted 10, 15 years or more. And I know of some plants, and I think it might be an altitudinal thing, high up on the mountain, which have been going for about 30 years and still mm. haven't flowered. Uh, and it does seem to be right up on the top of Mount Macedon where the oldest plants seem to live. So maybe the cooler the environment or the higher the altitude, the longer the plant is inclined to live. Uh, it comes from Madeira, Madeira. Uh, okay. So it's not. it's sort of... A temperate climate area. It's not really tropical Madeira. Um, and if you can envisage a palm-like trunk that gets rings around it where each leaf drops off, you get a sense of the stem. And the stem will often grow straight up or it can sort of bend slightly and twist and what have you. And then you get this sort of crown of foliage on the top, just like a palm tree would do. Um, but it's like a giant angelica-y looking foliage. Yep. Um, I've had them grow up to three or four metres tall before mm -hmm. they've actually decided to flower and die. And when they do flower, they get this enormous head of umbelliferous flowers so flowers like your carrots and parsnips yes. and things, um, in a sort of a, a soft, dusty, mauvey white colour, but this humongous big head of them. It can be, you know, nearly two metres across and a metre high. Okay. Uh, of these no wonder wheels. it dies after it flowers. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, you, you would exhaust yourself. All that yourself. effort. Yeah. Um, and then once it does all of that, the seed will drop to the ground uh, or you can sprinkle it round and they'll pop up as babies all over the place and then you can leave what you want and pull out what you don't. Mm. Uh, and they look fantastic in a bit of a drift. Um, and it's sort of a signature plant of Mount Macedon. It's obviously 
been grown up there for an awfully long time. I've never seen it in quantity anywhere else, uh, but nearly every large garden on Mount Macedon has its colonies of it. Mm. Uh, and I remember it from a child. Nobody knew what its botanical name was. It was just Tree Angelica up on Mount Macedon. That's what we always knew it as. Mm. Um, and when I started my own nursery, it took me ages to, you know, because we didn't have Google back then. In fact, we, I think we had slates back then. Um, and um, so it's very hard to trace a plant like that. Um, uh, and um, so eventually I found out what it was, and there was a synonym for it as well. I think it was called Thapsia discipiens as well. Um, and I just think it's a great plant, and it has this wonderful tropical look about it. Um, uh, everybody comments on it when they see it in foliage or in flower. Mm. Uh, it's easygoing. Uh, I do tend to find in suburban Melbourne where you get really hot summers, it doesn't live as long, so you mm. very rarely get really tall ones. Um, but... Um, I wouldn't be without it in the garden and probably couldn't be if I wanted. Yeah, um, I missed how tall it got. Oh, it can get to three metres or okay. more tall, yep. um, assuming that it's going on that long, you know. But, you know, I have them at a metre and a half. Sometimes it'll suddenly flower and, and collapse. They very rarely, if ever, produce multiple stems. They're nearly always a single trunk. I've had the odd one that I think might have had an accident or something that's then attempted to branch out, but they never get as big a heads of leaves on them and they tend to peg out after a fair while if they do that um and um you know it's just just this remarkably strange and interesting um plant in the umbiliferous group what have you got it growing with um i tend to use it in drifts around the garden and um anywhere i want sort of that sort of oh i'm going into a tropical forest and there might be a tiger in there somewhere sort of look <laughs> uh, actually that reminds me did you see at the the one garden at the show i think it won an award one of one of the smaller gardens it was a really tropical theme with that huge alice yeah. in wonderland cat in the yeah, middle of it that yeah, was wonderful yeah, yeah, it was yeah a lot quite of fun. refreshing to see that and yeah. it is refreshing to see things like that because we should be having fun mm. in the garden mm. you know i think people sometimes take their gardens far too seriously. I enjoy going out into a garden and seeing something that makes you smile and, and, you know, even have a good laugh. I mean, you know, gardening should be a fun leisure time pursuit. So I use this in lots of different places. Uh, I've used it where I've tried to enclose an area where I want to sort of uh, make it sort of more mysterious. So I've allowed it to come up on either side of a path and then you let it sort of arch over the top of you and then you've got to sort of fight your way through. Uh, Individuals sometimes pop up in garden beds and they become this sort of statuesque sort of central feature and I guess the only sort of downside is that in you know anywhere between four and ten years from now you'll suddenly have a gap uh when it dies yeah (laughs) but it doesn't matter I mean it very quickly will send up new seedlings uh, and certainly individual plants I don't know how many seed an individual plant will produce but it's got to be in the thousands Mm. uh when it goes to seed there's got to be literally thousands of seeds on this plant when Mm. it does it a lot of the monocarpic plants you grow in the garden have that self-seeding habit where they come up in abundance and you just Mm. you just weed out what you don't want and And look you rarely have you know you rarely have them flowering every year so Mm. you don't get too many. I mean, I had several go to flower last year, um, so there's lots of baby seedlings popping up at the moment. Um, and I guess the only other thing I need to say about it, uh, like many things in that family, the seed doesn't keep its um, viability terribly long. Right. So it's better not to store and, and sow the seed. You better to sprinkle it around as soon as it's ripe, uh, and then it will germinate in its own due course, uh, and then you can thin out the seedlings later on. And mm. I wonder if the reason it goes to flower is that the um, conditions aren't quite right, because I mean, 
mean, you think of some of the other plants in, in that family and, and when they're stressed, that's when they go to flower. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it's the same in that situation. Yeah, and in Macedon, in the areas where it's lasted for years and years, maybe it's perfect conditions for it. Yeah, well, it could well be. It could well be. I really don't know. But I, I just love it. I think it's a great plant. Um and certainly something that people should be looking at a bit more if they want something really interesting in the garden. Or I don't think I've ever had a garden opening where I haven't had more questions asked about this particular plant than almost any other plant in the garden. The only other plant that comes close to question asking is my meddler when it's in fruit. Everybody wants to know what the meddler is. Uh, I mean, I had a small group in from Brisbane yesterday that had been down for the flower show and obviously doing a few garden visits and things whilst they're down here. Um, and they all wanted to know about the meddler. Yep. You know, it, but, but they didn't t- pay much attention to the melanosalinum, which makes you think, well, they're probably so inundated with tropical foliage Absolutely. plants up there. Yeah, they're over that, it. Yeah, that yeah. it doesn't sort of engage with them, whereas yeah. with, with us Victorians, it would. Yes. Um, but they were very excited by the meddler. Yeah. Uh, Queensland folk love anything that flowers. There's really over foliage. Yeah, yeah, they, yes, they do. Yes, in fact, one woman said, "Oh, those funny brown fruits. Does it do anything else? <laughs> does it get nice flowers?" Uh, and I was able to say, "Yes, and it gets lovely autumn colour, but probably won't do that in Brisbane." <laughs> so there you go. Um, now, second plant along, which also gives me a tropical feel in my garden, is something that is a sort of a subtropical plant anyway, but it will come through our winters at Mount Macedon quite well. And it's a plant called palm grass. Uh, Cetaria palmifolia. Uh, it is a true grass. Um, it gets very broad leaves that have wonderful pleating in them, just like a palm leaf tends to have, hence palm grass. It will grow to about a metre tall in leaf, and the, and the leaves can be really quite broad. The plant I've brought along is a baby, and its leaves are probably a third the width of, of a mature mm. plant. So this is a really bold foliage mm. plant. Uh, it will give itself away as a grass when it flowers because it'll send up these sprays of little fine, fluffy sort of flower heads, uh, which are quite pretty. Um, it grows really well in shade. So if you're looking for – it doesn't cope with it absolutely dead dry, but it doesn't need to be particularly well watered in the shade. So mm-hmm. semi-dry shade suits it fine. Um, I'm assuming moist shade would also suit it perfectly well. I don't have a lot of that in my garden. Um, and I know in some areas it can be a bit thuggish because it's inclined to self-seed around a bit. But the babies are quite obvious uh, and they're almost immediately large enough to see. So it's very easy to weed out what you don't want. I actually find most of my unwanted seedlings pop up in my gravel paths and I just go along and pull them out when when they get big enough to pot up and sell to someone else. <laughs> um, and uh, I think it's a great plant and it certainly gives that tropical lushness to the garden um, and, and it will grow in slightly difficult conditions. But, you know, plant it with some discretion. It's not a plant probably that I'd recommend to people who live perhaps near bushland settings where it could take off. I mean, I'm in dry sclerophyll forest where I am. It's not going outside my boundaries. Mm-hmm. It just won't manage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Does but- it hold its leaves the whole way down? down yeah like but in fact there. the leaves come up and then arch over yeah. so you tend not to be able to look in underneath the clump when it's well established so you've got this sort of big arching mass of foliage uh and the flower heads sort of arch out as well in fact you do need to allow it a little bit of space if it's going to show itself off well because yep. you don't want to have it right on the edge of a path because otherwise you're going to have to keep hacking it back and mm. and you won't oh, be that able to spoil it yeah it would yeah. spoil it and and you'd ruin the effect of those lovely fluffy flower heads on it as well um so it comes from well actually it comes from right through the um uh, uh asian area up through india 
India. Uh, it's got quite a wide distribution, Sataria. Um, and I could imagine in tropical areas it actually would be a garden thug. Mm. Um, I mean, this is something I probably wouldn't plant if I was in Brisbane. Mm. Um, but down here, it seems to be reasonably mild-mannered. And, I mean, I'd rather actually have some plants that I need to do a little bit of controlling of sometimes than things that I've got a molly, molly coddle. Mm. Mm. You know, a plant that's got a little bit of a zest for life that's controllable is often far more use in a garden because you don't have to be spending every waking moment trying to keep it alive. Mm. Uh, I do find it frosts a bit up with us if we get a really cold year, uh, but it bounces back fairly quickly when the the spring hits, uh, so it doesn't take long to to come back again. And I just go through and clean out all the dead leaves and things every so often. And the only other thing you need to do is it flowers from the centre of a growing crown. So when it finishes flowering, those crowns will die out. So occasionally just go through and clean out the dead stuff. So I just go through with the secateurs or a pair of scissors and just clean out the stuff that's finished flowering. Would it survive as an indoor plant? Good question. I'm not sure. I've got a sense it probably would. It would look gorgeous inside, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it'd, it'd make a good indoor plant. And I do have a sense, that, you know, just knowing the plant's growth patterns and how it copes in the garden and things, unless it was sitting right over a heating duct or something like yeah. that that drew the, uh, drew the moisture out of the atmosphere... I don't see why it wouldn't make a good indoor plant, actually. Mm. Um, and it's certainly got a lovely look to it. So yeah. uh, the only issue, I guess, would be its leaves are quite rough and it would collect dust. Mm. So you'd need to take it outside and give it a good hosing down every so often if you were using it as an indoor plant. Uh, but, yes, you don't see Sitaria around very much. It no. could make a good broad landscape plant. If you're looking for something oh, yeah. to grow in underneath yep. large trees in a, mm. uh, in a sort of a, a civic setting, mm. um, it could be a fabulous plant for that. And, I mean, although it could get knocked about by the kids kicking footballs and things through it, it would soon bounce back again. Um, so it could be useful in, in conditions like that. Mm. So, uh, But certainly I love it in my garden. It just sort of, And often the seedlings, like a lot of these self-sowing things, the self-sown plants will often pop up just where you need one but wouldn't have thought to put it in. Mm. You know, as the plant gets a little bit established, yeah, you go, oh, that looks good. I'll start <laughs> taking credit for that, <laughs> as you can. No, and some of those plants, they can work quite well in uh, fire-prone areas. Mm. Um, you know, with that huge, broad sort of almost canopy, um, any embers coming in mm. fall on the le- on the leaves of the plant and, you know, don't reach the ground and, you know, you can prevent a bit mm. of a breakout with, and with it's, plants and like it's, that. And it's sli- although it's not succulent per se, it's not sort of dry like a lot of grasses That's are. Right, yeah, so it's got a yeah. bit of moisture in it yeah. as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a lovely plant. I'm very mm. fond of Sataria. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, so there's a couple of slightly tropical-esque looking things that I bought along this morning. We okay. still haven't had anybody ringing no, in. Are they I'll all just, asleep? Must be. I'll just give out that number again because uh, we'd love to uh, hear from you this morning. The number is 94190155 or to speak to Liz on the outside line, 94198377. You might as well go to the last one, Steve. Well, I might as well, but everybody better start ringing in. We'll run out of things to say. You know me, I've got oh, nothing yeah, to Stephen's say. Oh, yeah, Stephen's going to run out of things to say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would never happen. Oh, dear. Now, this is a completely non-tropical-esque plant that I brought along for the final one. Um, it's the Chinese quince, um, Cydonia sinensis, which for a long time and probably still is being grown under its old name of Pseudo-Cydonia. Mm. Yes. Uh, so most people will still know it as that, but apparently the Chinese botanists have decided that it's close enough to true Cydonia. It's not a pseudo. No, it's not a pseudo. It's a real one. Um, so they've lumped it in uh, with Cydonia. 
And it's a fabulous little tree. I mean, I wouldn't be without one. Um, it's just the right size for suburban gardens. It mm. gets to around about the four to five metre mark, <laughs> three or four metres across. So as a lawn specimen for a small suburban garden, it would be ideal. And I always think that if you're going to plant something, particularly if it's going to be a major feature plant, it has to pay its way. I don't like flowering cherries for that reason. I call them barometer plants. As soon as they come into flower, the wind picks up. Exactly. You know, so, <laughs> Guaranteed. Yeah, so, you know, you get your one week of wonder. Uh, and then for most of the rest of the year, there's not an awful lot to look at. Uh, and, of course, things like flowering cherries only really become seriously interesting when you're dead and they're about 100 years old. <laughs> uh, so I like a tree to pay its way. And I can't think of another tree that pays its way better than the Cydonia sinensis. Apart from it being drought tolerant, cold tolerant, heat tolerant, uh, all those things, I think the only way you could kill one is to drown one. Mm. Uh, So it's a hardy little tree. Mm. It's also quick growing. Uh, But it gets attractive pink blossom in the spring after the foliage is broken out. So it's not that sort of pink confection. It's sort of pink and green, which I actually prefer in a way. Um, You get these huge, big, yellowy, green, oblong quinces on it that sit on the tree at odd angles in the summer and autumn. So they're they're sort of – they look like they were a Christmas decoration stuck on by somebody without a sense of aesthetics uh, because they go all over the place, uh, which is sort of odd. In fact, a a, a, – Botanic artist friend of mine actually had a painting of this knocked back at the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne because for it was their... out of proportion. Well, no, they just thought that it was it was it was in, inappropriately placed, Balanced. you know. Oh, so, right. but she'd actually painted it as nature grew it. Yeah, okay. Uh, but yeah. it was a tree that obviously nobody there really knew well enough to realise that that was actually normal for the tree. Uh, and she was incensed, I might add. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. Yeah. So you get these amazing fruit, which you can in fact use. I've uh, made jellies from them. I've pickled them. Um, okay. Friends of mine in country Victoria grow it. They mm. they moved into a garden that had quite an established one. Um, and compared to the other quince that you would use for culinary purposes, I think this one is much better. Because mm. when you poach them, they go they go like a jube consistency, but without that grittiness that yeah. you get. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think they're a superior cooking quince. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they don't have that fuzz on the fruit mm. that you've got to oh, deal right. with either, mm. so you don't have to brush the fuzz off because there isn't any. Okay. Uh, so you've got the fruit. Which, if you don't like quinces, well, it can sit on the tree and look gorgeous anyway. And they smell great. They yep. perfume a room in a fruit yeah. bowl really mm. nicely. Yeah, too. so don't the fruit. You have to eat them. But there's more. <laughs> it comes <laughs> with steak knives. Um, no, in the autumn, the autumn foliage is stunning. It goes yellow, orange, and red. Mm. So you get fantastic autumn foliage, and it rarely gets um, uh, the pear and cherry slug. Whereas really? ordinary quinces can, okay. and it rarely gets that black spotting that ordinary quinces can get as well. So yep. in the autumn, it can go wonderful, wonderful colours. And yet there's more because, in fact, when it gets well established, it has bark every bit as good as a crepe myrtle. Mm. So what more could you want? And also as a, an ultra or a, a, a moderately mature tree, it will get a lovely gnarly sort of look to it, that sort of old fruit tree look that's lovely. so appealing. Yep. Uh, so it will grow into good old age. The only downside I can think of with Cydonia sinensis is that its wood tends to be a little brittle and in storms and things it will break branches and stuff. Uh, It's the only downside I can think of and I certainly know in the nursery if I've got large plants of it and they blow over in the wind they're inclined to snap the ends out of the branches and things and I've lost the tops out of a few of them being blown over in the nursery whereas other things will go down I pick them up again and you wouldn't know it had happened but yeah you don't get many second chances with the Cydonia but that's the only downside and I think it's a, a fabulous little tree and I sometimes wonder why it hasn't sort of caught on um, as a 
you know, commonly planted deciduous tree. I'm quite pleased it hasn't in some ways because I don't want it to be the next James Sterling Potosperum or Golden Diosma. <laughs> uh, I don't want to see it in McDonald's car parks, thank you, because um, uh, I always think there's something nice about a tree that hasn't been overused. Yes. So I'm not trying to promote it beyond a certain level, but it is one of those plants that more people should plant. And, you, and you'll get a reasonable size with it fairly quickly. It's surprisingly quick growing. Um, I mean, the plant I brought along is in a 20-centimetre pot. It'll be, well, pushing on to nearly a metre tall. It's probably only um, 18 months from seed. Okay. Mm. So um, it can grow quite quickly. So even for the impatient gardener, it's, <laughs> it's worthwhile considering. Unless so the- you own an alpaca. <laughs> Virginia has just said alpacas have eaten hers right down. Yeah, well, I'm not going to be responsible for alpacas in a garden. I mean, really. Um, uh, yeah, you know, look, I'm quite sure wallabies would probably give it a hiding as well. And, probably. Yeah, you know, so uh, elephant probably would if you had them. Um, so, yeah, you've just got to live with the consequences of, of, of the mammalian population you have around you. Um, but it is a great little tree. And so, yes, yeah, so the Cydonia sinensis or pseudocydonia sinensis, depending on what reference you go to, is something people should look out for more. Excellent. Great little tree. Yep. We should mention that today is the last day of Melbourne International Flower and Garden oh, Show. Yes, yes. So if people haven't gone along this week, um, get your skids on. Mm. I mean, it is a great day out. Mm. Um, your impressions of the show? You oh, look, had a look um, on Wednesday. I was in there all day Wednesday. I spent a bit of time on the tree and shrubby stand talking to people. I went and did Clive Blazy's tomato taste test. I went which was look- fun. No, yes, which was great fun. Uh, I'll be interested to know what one actually wins the taste test down here. Um, I'm almost going for that funny little green one with the stripes on it, the name of which I can't remember. It was a sort of bit oh, bigger than cherry tomato. Okay. But quite like that one. And red and black I like. Red and black, I think, seemed to be, everyone seemed to love yeah, that one. that was a good tomato yep. too. But anyhow, so I did lots and lots of stuff while I was down there on Wednesday. So I didn't, in fact, myself get round everything because I was doing all these other yep. commitments. Um, but look, I mean... I would love to see it sort of ramped up to the next level. Mm. I mean, I think we are resting on our laurels a bit. I mean, um, if you went last year, well, it'd be nice to go back this year. If you went four years ago, well, then you should go back this year. But, you know, quite often you walk around and you say, well, Teslas will be down there mm. and so-and-so's over <laughs> here. And, you know, it needs a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a shake-up. But there were some lovely display gardens. Um, uh, I think the one that um, Carolyn and Joby did was lovely. Yes. There's, there were some really, really nice landscapes and it is good to see plants being used again i mean we went through that era where everything was broken glass and shiny metal um which for me wasn't really gardening uh i mean it all looks very smart and all that sort of thing but you know who needs to polish the garden for god's sake Mm. you know uh so you know and it is a garden show and i think exactly and it says flower in the name as well so i think it does need to have some concentration on plant life um it was yeah it was it was interesting there was some really uh, fascinating bits and pieces around the place and of course there's lots of suppliers there that can tell you about their product which I always think is great um, and um, some interesting growers um, I, I'd also like to see some of the more smaller boutique nurseries get an opportunity to go in there but it's just too expensive for mm. most of them mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, if the NGIV want to do something really good they'd start a rare plant alley or something where they'd have a group of boutique small nurseries that they gave the stalls to it next to nothing yes. and encourage them in because yes. I I think that would also be a great 
sort of hook to bring the public in as well. If you knew the Dixonia Rare Plants was going to be there and, and a lot of the other smaller growers that just can't afford to take up a normal stall, mm. uh, that would be a good hook as well, I think. So I think it's time to do a bit of a shake-up. I mean, it's been going for over 20 years now, and uh, but it's still a great event. Um, there's still lots of interesting things to see, lots of interesting people to meet. Um, you can buy a magic broom. Um <laughs> Uh, it's worth going along to, I think, just to you know harvest ideas that people have got in their little yeah. display gardens and things. There's yes. always one or two things every year that surprise mm. me or go, oh, gee, you know, yeah. I never thought of that. Um, and this year was uh, there was a little student garden and it was geared towards butterflies. And there was a bird bath that just had a little bit of water in the bottom with, with mostly large pebbles and then a couple of halved citrus. And the idea was that butterflies could come and land on the citrus and get a refreshing... You know, get a refreshing bit a of spritzer. Sugar. Yeah, and I just, I just thought that was really lovely. You yeah. know, whether or not any butterflies come and do it, I, you know, it's kind of by the by. But I just thought, oh, that's a cute idea. You know, yes, and yeah. we've certainly moved more into the produce gardens being on display, yeah. haven't we? There was there were quite yeah. a few of them, and a Clive's couple, pumpkin couple of, pile was oh, pretty yeah, impressive. Oh yeah, that was incredible. Yeah. A couple of bee gardens. Yeah, which were the bee gardens, which was were very lovely. Cute. Yeah. yeah, and um, one that really stood out for me was the Beyond Blue Garden. Oh yes, mm. the Japanese inspired garden. Mm. Yes, you know. Something yes, that, that was want. tranquil and beautiful, oh, that wasn't was, it? Yeah, yeah. That was very really tranquil. stunning. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and especially with you know all the mature trees around them, those gardens mm. really stand out. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. it's a nice place for the possums to sit in and wait for everybody to leave. Oh yeah, and I mean if you're there, you know, last thing when they're closing up, everyone's running around throwing nets over everything. <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, yes, yeah. the possums think garden uh, the garden show is fantastic. Oh, the, they it's have a smorgasbord. Yeah, it's <laughs> the absolutely. best thing I saw was in the hanging basket area, and there are over 400 entries every year, and they go around and put a plastic bag over each of the entries every night so so i think in in revenge the possums um had gone along the fence line and just eaten the first foot (laughs) off of off of a row of espelliered citrus that they put along the fence and and you think well they're just getting their own back really aren't they (laughs) citrus flavored possum (laughs) (laughs) what i also like is the um the avenue of achievable gardens which are the student gardens and people you know they have the cards of the gardens and they have their contact details and it's fantastic for people who might want a landscape but Mm. can't necessarily afford you know um yes one of the normal landscaping rates yeah Yeah. to to get a student Mm. in and then of course that actually just that almost reinforces my issue with the fact that they need the boutique nurseries in there as well i mean they give these young landscapers half a crack yeah Mm. and it is supposed to be the nursery and garden industry of victoria and yet they're not really trying to help the small players in the nursery industry it's really odd i don't know why that has happened like that i mean don't get me wrong i think it's fantastic that they get the young landscapers in Mm. there i think they Mm. should and some of them are very innovative and very uh original and it's fantastic, but they're not helping their own industry as much as they should. And I don't get that. Mm. I really don't understand what what that's about. And they certainly weren't helping over that era where we did a lot of glass. And I mean, there should have been directives done by the Nursery Industry Association. And in fact, HMA, to its credit, Horticultural Media Association, instituted the best use of plant life Award because uh, we saw the need. We saw the need mm. for them yes. to be presenting good plants. Mm. For well, people. there is. I think they have to use 50, in their plot that there has mm. to be at least fifty percent plants now. Yeah, which is good, but yeah. it, it wasn't like that for no, quite a long right. time. Yeah. Uh, and it took a while for them to wake up that you know this wasn't 
you know, necessarily the way the industry should be pushing. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I still think it's a fabulous event. Uh, I go down every year and I enjoy it. Um, it's great to catch up with people. I mean, I'm not just the other people in the industry, but, I mean, the, the, the mums and dads and things that go in there. I mean, every year I go in there, I see the same faces. Yes. And we, we stop and chat and ask how our gardens are going and talk about our animals and all the other things in, in life that you can do. So uh, I get lots and lots of people that come up and engage with me when, when I'm down there. Um, and, yeah, so it's a great event. Mm, I was um, a volunteer on the Australian Plant Society stand when I finally found it after, <laughs> after 45 minutes. It, was, it took me a while to find clients. Oh, it was ridiculous. It, it wasn't listed in the information booth. I just rolled up there thinking, oh, yes, no worries, I'll find the APS stand and walked around twice, couldn't find it. Oh, go to the information booth. They've got no, sorry, they're not here. Finally, by mistake, I found it upstairs. Yes. Um, but what interested me was there were so many people um, either just starting to get into natives, you know, wanting a bit more information, you know, keen to become part of a group, which was, yeah, I thought it was very encouraging. Excellent. Let's go to our first caller and we have uh, Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Pam. I'm ringing up to tell about the Herb Society meeting on Thursday at 7.30pm. Right. Um, Virginia Haywood is speaking. Okay. She's speaking about um, her, her inspirations for her own garden and being part of the botanic gardens and um, also her work with 3CR. Okay. So there's usually about 40 people. Right. And we meet at Burnley Horticultural College in uh, the main building, room 10, and the Melway reference, 45A12. Excellent. People can park in the um, in the road just near the... Double gate, mm-hmm. and coming in the double gate, turn left to the big cream big building. Easy. We also have herb supper. Uh, we have a library, and we have lots of chat, and uh, we have plants for sale. Excellent. So people can enjoy that as well, and it's the right time to, to get in some plants that need to adjust for the whole uh, winter and, and uh, spring before that summer hits again. Absolutely. <laughs> Sounds like sage advice, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, yes. Thanks, Rosemary. <laughs> okay, so um, Virginia Haywood and her experiences and loves for gardens. And isn't it strange? There she is. She's a telephonist today as well. <laughs> Jack of all trades is our Virginia. Yes. <laughs> okay, thanks very much, Jill. Thanks, Pam. Bye. That number again, if you'd like to join us, 94190155. We have Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants, AB and James Beatty from um, ABC Gardening Australia researching there. And you're up and running again, James. Yeah, yeah, hit the ground running this year. It's It's been good. We've changed the format of the show a little bit. There's a lot of um, smaller parcels of information that we've uh, interspersed throughout the stories to try and get a bit more value for money for people in there. Um, so it's a different a different pace of the show this year, um, and I think it, feel, it just feels like it's got a bit more energy and things about it as mm-hmm. well. Um, but yeah, onward and upward from here, I reckon. Yeah, it'll be it'll be good. Okay, working on anything in particular at the moment? Oh, there's always there's always lots up in the air at the moment. Um, we're we're gearing up to shoot with um, Karen Sutherland, who's a regular on right. on on the on the show um, uh, next week. Um, and oh, there's there's so much going on in my brain at the moment. I'm finding it hard to choose <laughs> <laughs> which one to talk about. Did you film at Mifkus at all? 
Um, we did we did one day, um, just an opening and closing for a show, um, and that was that was interesting. Um, lots and lots of uh, crowd control going on. It's like herding cats <laughs> at an event like that. Um, but it was good. I, I'm I'm not sure the last time the show shot at the at the flower. I don't and think it show. did. I don't has. think it has. Oh, certainly right. never in my time no. uh, with okay. gardening Australia, and I don't remember it in Peter's time <laughs> mm. anywhere. Mm. So, which is funny because, of course, I mean, so many people like go to the show, watch gardening Australia, That's and right. you know, this, I, I watched Sophie Thompson give her talk, and mm. she was hugely popular, very mm. well received. You know, mm. she just said, "Oh, hi, I'm Sophie Thompson. I'm on gardening Australia," and everybody broke into this huge round of spontaneous <laughs> applause you know they loved it so it surprises me that they they don't do it I think it's part of it's the problem with this commercial as well yeah, yeah. Stuff, yes. you know so the ABC is always a bit and, careful yeah, and, yeah and the other right. stations mm. have already got a, a finger in yeah, that pie that's right so uh, but really in a sense I mean the ABC it should be outside of all of that and it shouldn't really mm. matter that much I mean if it's a big gardening and any event, promotion they, is good promotion well mm. for the program yeah. it certainly is and 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 anything that's got to do with gardening they probably should have some sort of input into or some presence at it would be good yeah absolutely to have such a large gathering of gardeners it's like a mm. you know large large i'm sure there's a collective term for that yeah <laughs> the collective noun for gardeners I wonder what yeah, that would yeah. be. yes yes i can think of all sorts of things that i won't even mention yes we won't go there yeah okay we have another jill on the line this time jill in east brighton good morning jill good morning panel um Yes, I was. I was listening to your speaking about the uh, and your giant Angelica, oh, Stephen. Yes. And I saw one. I think it was one. You know, I think it was the Ian Barker Garden, the one that won the best in show, the one with all the um, um, meadow and so on. Have I got his name right? Yes, the garden show. Yes. Anyway, um, there was. I came home with all my bits of paper that I always collect at the gardening show, and of course, the one that I really wanted. Has somehow gone astray. <laughs> of course, I think it was. It, I think it was an Angelica, and it was purple and. Oh, yeah, Angelica Gygas. Look, I, yes, that's right. That's that. As soon as you said it, I. Yeah. Um, it's a wonderful plant. It is biennial. So it dies after flowering in the second year. Um, And I used to grow and sell it, but at some stage or another, I didn't collect the seed properly or it didn't come up again in the garden. It's not as self-seeding as some of the angelicas, I find. Uh, But it gets these wonderful heads of purple flowers and it's incredibly insect attracted. The bees Mm. were just having a fist fight. Yeah, and so it's a wonderful plant, but you do need to work at it to keep it in your garden because I found that I had to collect the seed, at least some of it every year, to make sure I had some seedlings coming coming on and I used to sow it and raise them to a certain size and then plant them back again. Right. Uh, and I did that for years yeah. and years and years. And then one year I forgot to do it. Oh. Nothing came up in the garden and it disappeared. And right. so I haven't got out. I haven't, well, I probably should have another crack at it because it is a great plant. Uh, and it does feature in my second book, funnily enough. Um, but um, it's, a, it's a truly beautiful angelica uh, and yeah. definitely worthwhile getting. And it is edible. Oh, okay. At what part? The leaf stems. Uh, you can use it like you would ordinary culinary angelica, uh, yeah. and I think you can chop up the leaves as well and use them in salads and drinks and and what have you. Uh, having said that, though, I always find ornamental edibles a bit of a problem because they yes. sometimes lose their ornamentality when you eat them. You've them and done the giant. <laughs> yeah, it's like them. taking the heads off your artichokes. Yes. Uh, I mean, 
they're delicious, <laughs> but it does ruin the effect in the garden. It does. <laughs> yeah. And look, what kind of conditions do they like? Uh, look, all the angelic is like a good deep sort of well-drained but not too dry soil. So good veggie gardens sort of soil. Uh, probably out of the real heat of the day. Uh, I yes, did find I, angelica gigas could burn. Yes, I wondered about that. And look, I suspect it wouldn't do any good in our, on my sand. You'd probably have to oomph your sand up a fair bit with plenty of manure and yes. compost and stuff. Yes. Uh, I've been doing it for years, but I still have to throw a party every time I see a worm in my yeah, <laughs> Yes, Yes, I know what it's like in some of those really sandy soils, Jill. Oh, it's not that easy. It just swallows it, yes, yes. And now, of course, I've got to the stage where the garden beds have built up so that they're flowing over all the retaining things because I've added, you know, so many, much mulch mm. and stuff over the years and still the soil seems as poor as anything. <laughs> oh, yes. However, yes, I think maybe it's not one for me. Maybe not. I mean, I, I fell in love with it when I saw it used in English gardens, and it yes. certainly flourishes in England. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. But in uh, seriously, because it comes from um, Korea, uh, that particular angelica. No, it might be a sort of a bit of a mountain. Yeah, know. look, it certainly did well for me up at Mount Macedon. Uh, yeah. I've seen it do well in the Dandenongs. Um, but. Not, not quite for the sandy lowlands. No, not so much for the city. Uh, and I have to say, as beautiful as it is, uh, I found it comparatively short flowering. Oh, uh, right. So yes. those big purple heads didn't last terribly long in the garden, uh, which I found a bit of a disappointment because you wait two years for it. Um, yes, yes, and, yes, you, you know, do want to enjoy it a bit longer. Yeah, it, it re- it, they sort of went yellow, uh, greeny brown fairly quickly. Right. Uh, and then went to seed right. fairly fast. So um, a lovely plant, but, yes, probably more for the seriously dedicated gardener, I think. Yes, well, I've taken note of your Sidonia sinensis because that sounds like something that That's I That's might... something you could grow well, yeah. too. Yeah, yep, uh, yes. Look, thank... oh, and, and can I just ask the panel, what did you think? It, was it, is it Ian Barker, that garden? Because I, I thought it was very lovely. I, I loved the quietitude garden, as you did, but mm-hmm. I just wondered uh, if you had any thoughts on... On that one. The Ian Barker one was the one with the cornflower meadow, was that yes, right? Yes, and then going yeah. down to the more formal area, which yep. was very densely planted. And I was thinking, apropos of your um, comments about, you know, gardens actually having plants in, I, I thought it was a very refreshing plant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, okay. uh, what did you think of the um, Philip Johnson one, the native like- garden with the poppies? I liked it very much. Mm. I have seen other one gardens of his that I, mm. I like. He does rock. Yes, he does a lot of rock. Yeah. <laughs> he really rocks. Yes, he does. Yes, Philip yes. gave me a, a personal tour of the garden on Wednesday, uh, and I loved that piece of lawn with all of the knitted poppies in it. It was oh, yes. just so cute. It yes. was just gorgeous. Gorgeous, absolutely lovely. And I've got to say, I actually was moved to tears with the uh, the great-grandfather, um, you know, the letter. Oh, yes, the letters from his great-grandfather, yes, yes. that personal and, connection. Yes, and was killed just a week before the end of the war, you know, and, and, and saying you know, it won't be long now and it won't be, you know, he'd been dreaming of walking with his wife along the, the creek uh, near their home. And, uh, yes, didn't make it. I thought that was very poignant. Mm. Yes, it was a very moving piece. A good and I wanted to walk it. off with some of those tree grasses that were in Philip's display. Oh, yes. yes, yes, oh, yes. Stunning. Yes, yes. Stunning, so, stunning plants. <laughs> yes. Um, possibly some fewer rocks and a bit more planting I would have liked, but that's just my, my bias. Yes, that, that, that was actually my feeling too, Jill, mm. um, because normally, obviously, um, when he when he designs a garden, the garden has time to grow and to soften. Yeah, a, that week whole effect. Long and a week isn't long enough. A week isn't long enough. And and it really would have looked a lot better had had those plants been a bit yeah. more established. If he could have got something like Sturt Desert Pea or something like that as yes. established plants something and flower, smaller along the ground. Yeah, something to sort of cover trees. the ground. Yes. But, mm. uh, yes. Yes. 
but um, yes, you could see it had the potential. And perhaps he wanted didn't want to detract from the poppies on no. the ground. That's true. Mm. Mm. Yep. Yes. Anyway, thank you very much. Lovely talking with you as always. It's always a great source of ideas for me. Good on you. Okay. Thanks, Jill. Right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> right. Next up, we have. Uh, let me see. Robert in Mitcham. Good morning, Robert. Yes. Good morning, all. Look. Uh, I've got a, a couple of uh, things that I'd like uh, advice from the panel on. Uh, specifically, uh, my wife's got hold of some uh, Phalaenopsis orchids, mm-hmm. that, uh, and we want to know how to look after them. <laughs> it's always a good idea to get the plant first and then worry about how to look after it after. <laughs> oh, logic doesn't come into this. No, no, no. In fact, I'm very much in favour of the impulse purchaser, I have to say. But there you go. <laughs> Not that you're biased. Yeah. How do we um, deal with the flowering stems? One of our producers at work actually has a very, very novel and straightforward way of looking after his phalaenopsis. Um, and he's got flowers on his that have lasted uh, a good a good nine months or something. Um, mm-hmm. And and he and he's he's a first time grower as well as well. He only picked one up around this time last year, um, but he's got his in a north facing window inside, and he gets in the habit of watering it every payday. We get paid fortnightly, <laughs> so every time he's you know briefly rich for that one period every two weeks, it reminds him. What did the ABC? Going... Anybody can even consider <laughs> himself briefly rich. <laughs> So you know when when basically once every two weeks, give it a, give it a bit of water. But one of the biggest dangers with Phalaenopsis and with a lot of or those kinds of orchids is is overwatering it. You will you will kill it with kindness. Um, so that's that's my that's my tip. Yeah. How about the flower stems? Uh, oh well, when we the, when the main them. stem finishes flowering, look down behind the flowers. You'll see a little node. Mm. Cut to the node because then the, on the outside of the node, I might add, not below it, uh, and because there's that's where the next flower stem is likely to come from. So don't cut them right off. Can we be more descriptive? Well, you'll, you, if you look down the stem, you'll see a little sort of bract, a little sort of lump. Is it down the bottom of the stem? Or no, no, it's about halfway up. Okay. Yeah, halfway. Halfway up. Yeah, there should be a little nodey thing there, a little lumpy bit uh, on the stem. So we cut to just above that? Yes, just, just above. above. Yeah, when the flowers finish, obviously. Uh, we, and we... then that will, with any luck, if, if the plant is growing in the right atmospheric conditions in the house, it will then send out a secondary stem from behind there. Now, that's going to be down near the bottom? Or up no, 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 about no. halfway up. About halfway up? Yeah, it varies. It could be two-thirds of the way up. It could be two-thirds of the way down. There should be. It very rarely you'll find that there's not a stem that's got it. I mean, it can happen that it won't have that secondary no- node, but normally they always do. And it's quite small, so you've got to look for it. Right, okay. I'm examining a couple of stems here. That's your job for the morning. Well, run your finger down the stem. You'll find a bump. You'll find a bump. From from behind the first flower, run your fingers gently down the stem. Don't squeeze hard. And and you should find a little bump there somewhere. Okay. If not, you've got a rather unproductive phalaenopsis because it won't have a secondary flower spike come Mm. out. Okay, I can find a couple of little bumps here. That okay? So we oh, we can we cut down to one of those? Yeah, yeah. yeah the the first one you come to behind the flowers. Yeah, that, uh, okay, that's the, the tag that comes with these things. Says um, put them in an, an, an east east facing window and avoid direct sun. Yeah, well, I don't think it matters which window you put it in as long as they get plenty of light. Mm. Plenty of light. Uh, yeah, but, but they don't want that hot direct sunlight coming through because, of course, a glass window will sort of magnify it yeah. and you can burn the plant. So a very light, airy spot is where you need to keep them. It's not so much a matter of which direction it faces. After mm. all, they're inside. Uh, they're inside, that's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, 
That's right. It's just, uh, we're just fascinated by that uh, node. Uh, we can find a, a couple of little spots along the stem where there's, you know, just a, it looks like a, a, a little bit of leaf. Yeah, that's what yeah, I was telling you about. It. That's a node. Yep. That's, 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 that's what you're looking for, Robert. Okay. Yeah, so, so that's so what you're looking for, the first one of those. The, um, the first one back from the flower. Yes. Yes. That's, that's all right. Okay. Yeah, and the other thing to remember with Phalaenopsis is they flower for months, so if all else fails after flowering, you buy another one. <laughs> I, I, I will not make myself lose sleep over a plant that I could easily replace for only a few dollars and get months and months of value out of. There you go. Okay, now can I ask you something else? Yes, of course. Okay, this is a, uh, com- completely different. Uh, my daughter has a uh, Japanese maple, a uh, small variegated one, mm-hmm. probably about two foot high, spreading one. It's been in a pot. And it's been sharing the pot with uh, oh, mum, 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 mum. winter rose, uh, hellebore. Mm-hmm. A couple of nice white hellebores. Mm-hmm. And the hellebores seem to be overpowering the... Uh, as they will. As they will. Mm. Okay, we want to repot it. Can we? Yes. That's Japanese maples we... are classical bonsai plants, so they will tolerate quite a lot of root disturbance. Um, so leave it till the maple is bare uh, and... Preferably before the hellebores get completely into flower so that they're not sort of in full flight. So before they get into full swing later in the winter, roll the whole thing out of the pot, gently ease the hellebores away from the maple, pot them up separately or put them into the ground, which is generally better for hellebores anyway. They're not mm. really great pot plants. They, they've got no, a very vigorous they, root system. They, and they, they, don't... They, they chose to uh, colonise. Oh, yeah. So these were seedlings <laughs> that came up in the pot, which but, is... Uh, now yeah. they're... Um... Quite significant. And remember that the maple is probably far more valuable than the hellebores, so if, in fact, it becomes a bit of a tussle. you've got to sacrifice something. Yeah, well, make sure it's the the hellebores you sacrifice, not the maple. Yep. Um, And then just repot the maple into, it could go back into the same size container. I mean, um, you can, in fact, I'd call them sort of part-time bonsais, uh, where you roll them out, root prune them, Mm, and put them back into the same pot, uh, but you don't do it on the same regular sort of basis as you would with a proper bonsai, but then you can keep that maple going for many, many years, particularly some of the smaller leaf variegated Japanese maples. They're very slow growing. They don't grow to any great size. They can stay almost as a permanent pot plant. Yes, no, it is... It has taken a long time. It's been in, been in the pot for, for far too long. Yeah, well, it probably needs fresh potting mix. In fact, mm. it wouldn't even hurt when you do take it out of the pot and get the hellebores away from it to actually wash all the soil off, start off with fresh potting mix uh, and give it a whole new sort of makeover. Yes. There you go. Can I impose on you for one further? <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Shimmer Mansus. Yeah. We have... Uh, been trying to grow one, and yes, I know we've been trying to grow it in a pot, and possibly we shouldn't, but uh, it's surviving but not thriving. Yeah, well, it won't in a pot. It won't in a pot. No, no. no. The, the winter sweet is one of those plants that um, is far better out of mandatory detention. Uh, I would get it into the ground uh, in a morning sun, afternoon shade aspect, probably, probably for preference, but it doesn't matter that much. Um, they'll cope with the afternoon sun. They're reasonably drought tolerant once their roots get down and established. Uh, in fact, they're a fairly easygoing plant, but they do have a vigorous root system. They're not going to last in a pot indefinitely. Right. There so you if go. you can find somewhere to put it out in the ground, all the better. And, I mean, they can grow pretty big. I mean, my mm. winter sweet would be, if it's not four metres tall by four metres wide, I'd be surprised. And I did I did know of one. I don't know whether it's still there, but uh, my elderly editor of my first two books um, 
lived in a tiny little house in, in Turak with a little tiny asphalt backyard with a little border uh, of soil around the edges of it. And she had a winter suite in there that had trunks on it that were huge. And the whole plant came up and over the whole back garden. Goodness. So, so it was a tree. It was quite literally a large tree. And I'm sure that somebody's bought the place, moved in, watched that thing and cut it out. Oh, but, I bet. You know, I, I oh. bet you pounds to peanuts it's gone. <laughs> yes. uh, but it was the most magnificent thing. And when it was in flower, it must have scented the whole block. Yes. It was just incredible. Uh, and so they'll do far better anyway, even if you manage to grow it and manage to flower it in a pot. The emphasis has to be on manage. Right. It's not on flourish. Mm. So you really need to get it out. We need to put it in there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, morning sun and... Uh, morning okay. sun for preference. But look, if you if you can't find a spot like that, don't panic. It will cope with uh, light-filtered sun all day long and it will cope with full afternoon sun if it has to. It might get a little bit of burn on those 45-degree days, but so does everybody. Okay. All right, folks. Thank you very much for all of that. Okay. Okay. Bye. Right. Bye. At number again, 94190155 to speak to the team on air. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Liz on the outside line, 94198377. Stephen? Thelma was a bit shy to ring in and talk to yes. us on air. Um, and she wants to know whether chinchincheries uh, or ornithogalums or ornithogalums, or depending on what school you went to, uh, can be planted in pots. And the answer, I guess, is yes. But having said that, most bulbous plants need repotting regularly into fresh potting mix. If you stick them in a pot and leave them for several years, the bulbs will start to deteriorate. They'll get smaller. They'll stop flowering. So if you're going to grow any bulbs in pots, you need to repot regularly. And some bulbs tend to get um, pot-weary is what I call it. I don't know quite why, but um, even if you're repotting regularly, some bulbs tend to degenerate in pots over a period of time. Uh, certainly quite a lot of the daffodils will do that. Mm. Uh, and yet I don't find it a problem with the little um, hoop petticoat daffodils and some of the small ones. They seem to just keep functioning, uh, repotted every year. Um, so some bulbs just sort of lose their zest for life when they're restrained in a pot. Um, so, yes, you could grow them in a pot, but you would need to repot regularly, and I'm not altogether sure whether chinchincheries might or might not sort of slowly get smaller anyway. Uh, and certainly they're a very cheery bulb that's great in borders and out in the garden, and so if there is garden space for them, I think I'd still prefer, prefer to have them there. And, of course, the other issue with bulbs in pots... They can look lovely when they're in flower, but they spend nine-tenths of the year looking, <laughs> looking like really there's an empty daggy. pot. Yeah. Yes. You know, yeah. <laughs> and so if I'm growing things in pots, if it was something like that, I would have somewhere where I could rest the pots behind the shed or somewhere where you don't see them, mm. and you bring them out when they're in flower and you sit them on the front doorstep, mm. uh, enjoy them in flower, and then you can put them away again. Otherwise, in pots, I like to put something in that performs for me basically the whole time mm. or something expendable like annuals and things that I can sort of keep replacing. Uh, because I do you love potted perform. bulbs, though, when, when they're bursting out of the out oh. of the container and they're full of colour. I think they're gorgeous. They really. are. Oh, but, yes. James, you have to admit there's not a lot of time involved in that. I mean, I've done the let's have tulips on the front veranda in yeah. pots thing, and it's great fun and I love them. Uh, but really, if you get more than 10 days to a fortnight, you're doing pretty. <laughs> But it's worth, worth it. Yeah. Inspired beauty. It's almost yeah. ethereal. You see it. Oh, I love it this time of year. I'm yeah. actually going to try and pop to the garden show today and try and pick up some bargain bulbs. Yeah. Actually, have a bit of a clearance at the end of the day. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. you shopper, you. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you're going to put a bulb in a pot, 
then at least get some perfume as well. Put in some hyacinths or something. Yeah, so yeah. you're getting double value for it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And look, I, I agree with James. It is there, there is amazing fun in having bulbs in pots, but you do have to put a bit of work into it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and it's better to use fresh bulbs every year mm. because you'll always get the odd blind one after a year or two of collecting your own bulbs anyway. So buy fresh bulbs because they'll already have the flowers set in them. If they don't, there's something going wrong. Mm. Um, and enjoy them and... Treat them like a dinner out for the garden. It's a special treat. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, being the busy nurseryman slash gardener slash media person that I am, I just don't have as much time as I once had to do those things. I, I, I spent a lot of time trying to make my front steps look like those at Great Dixter in England, <laughs> uh, which was great fun. But you, you virtually have to have staff. Um, which I don't, in fact, have. I don't think Craig sees himself as staff. Um, not to you, anyway. No, not to me, anyway. Yeah, it might be to somebody else, but certainly not to me. Um, and so, yeah, you've got to be dedicated to make it really good, and yes. you do have to be able to change things over straight away. So you need to have something coming on to replace with and all that sort of thing if you're going to keep the show going. Yep. Um, so it's very high-end horticulture, in a way, to do it well, uh, like they do at Great Dixter in England. I mean, their pot arrangements are just to die for and they're you know they're preened within an inch of their lives and every dead flower heads at them straight away a tulip drops a petal and that pot goes and another <laughs> one comes in uh, i mean it's just you know it is really up their stuff but there's oodles of those people working in that place you know so they they can really do it you yes. know i struggle to keep up with the weeding let alone you know keeping a lovely pot display going but yeah look every so often it's lovely just to do it mm. um and look i'll be up at tesla's in April, 18th and 19th of April, I think is their rare plant fair coming up. So that would be a good time to go and get bulbs and things as well. Um, and I suppose we should mention the rare plant fair up there, actually, because yes. it is a it is coming and it's great fun. There's lots of uh, suppliers of specialist plants and things up there. And the place is groaning under bulbs, so there's plenty of bulbs to buy. Um, and certainly I know I need to get some new tulip bulbs for under my new asparagus bed that I'm going to be planting shortly. Uh, I've just dug it over and got it ready to plant. So I need to get the tulips in before I put the asparagus in. Uh, and I need to talk to the diggers club and see if I can get some purple asparagus or something slightly different this year. I'd like to get something in that's a bit different. And now I've got the quandary. Which coloured tulip do I plant? Because I want them all the same and they're all going to live underneath the asparagus. Okay. And I've done that in another part of the garden where I had double yellow tulips under the asparagus. Unfortunately, the hedges on each side are starting to have an impact now on the asparagus, so it's going off and it's not as good. The tulips are still in there and doing their thing. So I've dug a whole new bed ready to start off a new asparagus bed, and it's against a white greenhouse wall. So I'm probably going to have to go for something bright and cheery, maybe Mm. something violently pink or brilliantly red. or Well, it's got to be something to compensate for the purple. Yeah. Spears when they come up, yeah, doesn't it? One yeah. of my favourite cultivars is a single late tulip called Maureen, and it's an almost incandescent orange flower with a really beautiful touch of yellow around the mm. outside of the petal. Mm. And that on mass would yeah. just knock yeah. your socks. Well, off. the one that's beautiful. done best for me in the garden over the years, and that's the other thing with tulips. I mean, some are more resistant and more reliable than others. I mean, I've planted the black tulips time and time again, and I get one oh, season out of them. They just look a bit insipid, I reckon. Well, they look fantastic yeah. with with artichoke foliage. Oh yeah, they oh, look match God, they well. look fabulous but i'm lucky if i get a, more than a year out of them yeah mm. 
they just seem to go off very quickly, mm. so they yep. fade over. I mean, again, they're a serious treat. They're like going out to a five-star restaurant for, for a treat for the garden. Um, but there's some tulips that go on and on and on. I had a double yellow called Monte Carlo, which is still in the old asparagus beds, and it ha- it lasted for eight years. Mm. I got eight years of good value out That's of it. That's good. And another one that I planted and I'm still getting great value out of is an old orange one called Adrem, which has been fantastic. It's multiplied like Billy O in the garden. Mm. I've got this fabulous drift of it. You hardly see a blind bulb amongst them. Uh, it's been really good value. But the parrot tulips, they go over after a year or two. The mm, blacks tend do. to disappear on me fairly quickly. Uh, I had a huge, big, violent pink one a couple of years ago that just flowered the once and then disappeared. I never saw it again. Um, and at Macedon, you can generally rely on getting a little more than the once out of your tulips. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which one I, I go for because I'll need about 100 bulbs, I reckon, to make an impact. Mm. Uh, mm. If you don't think you've got enough tulips, you probably haven't. <laughs> 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 okay, let's go next to Carl, who's out in Braybrook. Good morning, Carl. Good morning. How are you? Well, thank you. Good. So um, I uh, run a community nursery with my my beloved wife and young family um, called the Power Plants Community Nursery. Right. And we shot a story with you only a few weeks ago, didn't we, Carl? Yes. And um, I wanted to just ring up and um, say thank you to some of the 3CR uh, listeners who came and and bought good good, uh, seedlings off us. And um, say that, uh, yeah, two things. Um, our, we've got a Easter Saturday sale on next week, so if anyone in the western suburbs wants to pick up seedlings for a dollar each, um, come and see us. The rhubarb's a dollar. and We do everything we can to encourage people to garden. And the second point is that this afternoon we have um, a volunteer workshop session on, so I'm not sure if anyone... Um, up for uh, transplanting some seedlings on a sunny Sunday afternoon. But, um, yeah, it would be much appreciated. So, Carl, could. do you sell um, fruit and veggies and, and ornamentals as well? or It's, it's all fruit and veg, really. Fruit and veg, yep. Yeah, a few, um, a few uh, attractors there on the, on the flower front. We've got some calendula and so forth um, growing through at the moment. So... Um, yeah, it's all about uh, getting that uh, productivity of land up. You can um, do so much with just a few hours um, gardening each week. And where we live, there's a lot of people who barely know what um, fresh fresh food tastes like. Mm. So um, it's good to be able to remind them. Mm. And do you have many plots there? Um, well, it's just a community nursery. Or just so the nursery, so it's just, not where yeah. people come and, yeah. So we've just got a driveway so it's about 10 meters long by mm. about three meters wide and um yeah we've got about seven or eight compost piles spread around the backyard chook run some bees and um yeah a lot of green waste uh, coffee waste we get from neighboring businesses and that helps um keep the supply of dirt up so yeah that's probably our most crucial ingredient alongside a few extra hands to help um transplant uh, all of these um, seedlings that are germinating so nicely in our greenhouses at the moment. Okay, so Carl, give us some of the details. Firstly, the sale that's on on Easter Saturday, what times is that running? 11 to 1 o'clock at 30 Shepherd Street, Braybrook. Yes. 30 Shepherd Street, Braybrook. And uh, the volunteer session's on from uh, 
3 o'clock till 5 o'clock today at the same address. Right. We sit around the outdoor picnic table and, um, yeah, have a good old chatter. Mm-hmm. I um, actually run the 3CR Renegade Economist radio show on Wednesday night, 5.30 to 6pm. So anyone who's familiar with those sort of themes of um, economic reform and monopoly power and what we can do to... Um, push back against it, uh, are, are more than welcome to bring up those sort of topics. And- <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it could be an interesting potting a very, afternoon, A very actually. good chat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like renovating a garden bed, but on the international money market. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's nothing like getting some of those microbes in our, our fingers to um, alleviate some of the pressures um, we dear 3CR um, aficionados they go through reading the news each and every day so um, <laughs> it's good to have a, a good old chinwag as we um, do something productive with our time and um, yeah volunteers take away you know whatever they can carry basically in, in seedlings so um, yeah just amazing how for I think it's about 10 hours work a week right? we can produce 500 seedlings a month yep out of a spare driveway. So, yes. You know, these talk that we're, we're all going to starve and, you know. <laughs> well, some of us over. probably will, but those who know what we're doing won't. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So we're trying to encourage those skills to be picked up. So um, Your beautiful wife, Raina, was telling me that the inspiration for starting the nursery that you guys are running is um, you, you went to Bunnings in May and saw tomato seedlings for sale. And just thought, yeah. oh well, they're they're setting people up for failure, really, if they're going to say, oh no, there's time to there's time to get a crop in before winter sets well, in, or just before it dies. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a horror zone, and the price you have to pay for so many of these things. You know, rhubarb twenty two dollars. Mm. Yes, and you just knock the the. You won't be able to fi- afford the cream, will you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. So um, we've got a couple of rhubarb plants that must have. Um, must have been cropped oh, at least a dozen times each. So, you know, hopefully um, friends um, share them around as well. So instead of some of these plants going into the dumpster, we're actually diving in and grabbing some here and there as well. So um, there's so much waste that goes on mm. um, in this sort of world as well. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's fun to be able to, you know, give a few tips here and there on, how you can um, improve germination rates, for example. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah, so um, so there we go. So thanks for letting us um, throw that spiel out there. It was great. There was probably four or five people who came from the 3CR um, listenership last time Raina discussed it with you. So, good. Um, it's Excellent. It's a good crowd out there. Okay, good on you, Carl. So I'll just repeat the address, 30 Shepherd Street in Braybrook. Um, Easter Saturday, the sale is 11 till 1, and this afternoon, the workshop, 3 o'clock till 5 o'clock, was it? Yeah, that'd yes. be great. Okay. Come around the side. Thank you. Good on you. Bye. Bye. James, what was the focus of the story for their garden? Um, it was about it was about them looking at um, you know what's commercially available and at what time of year, and then deciding that actually we're going to help we're going to help people in our local area um, plant things at the right time. So getting that timing right in the veggie garden is really important. So they're really they're really trying to skill people up with growing food around where they are Fantastic. and getting them all together to grow them from seed. So yeah. 
And I guess also growing plants that are um, produced, well, you know, germinated and, and sown locally, there's a much better chance of success yeah. in your own garden. Oh, yeah. yes, yeah. they're going exactly. to be acclimatised. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, yeah. you don't know where some of these plants come from that's that show right. up in, well, even in garden centres, not yep. just mm, the barns. That's right. I mean, they yeah. come in from wholesalers from mm. all over the place. And, um, you know, so unless you go to a grower mm. that's actually doing the plants on site, um, you can't be sure where they're coming from, and you can't be sure they're organic either. If you're mm. buying from a nursery, yeah. um, you know a, a lot of us a lot of us do garden organically, and we find it very important. Um, but a lot of people who are getting into it don't really don't really think a lot about the issue when they're picking up a punnet of seedlings in mm. a nursery, um, because they may they may be laced with pesticides and things. Mm. And, you know, if if the growers aren't aren't proudly declaring themselves organic, then they more than likely are covered in pesticides. Mm. So. You know, there's there's a there's a deeper issue there as yeah, well. Yeah, and you certainly so. don't see that sort of thing on uh, plants for sale as opposed to you know fruit and veggies for sale. You know, it's mm. either orga- organic, biodynamic, or not. Whereas mm. plants for sale, yeah, it's not very often declared. Mm. 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 That's right. And if there's very, is if there is any doubt, the only way around it is just to grow from seed yourself mm. at home, which is fun. And you know, once, it's great once fun. You get the basics down yep. pat. It's it's pretty absolutely easy and, until the cockies get into your seed collecting area and throw, oh, no. throw them all around and then the rats help themselves. Just and for the fun of it. Yeah. Actually, I have had my first failure with broad beans this year. Oh, really? Uh, I put the seed in about oh, two weeks ago and two-thirds of them have been eaten by a bush rat or something. Oh. Something's come in, you can see the little holes. Yes. And something's come along yeah. and dug two-thirds of the seeds out before they even got up. Yes. So I'm going to have to over-sow again and uh, see if I can't protect them from the little varmint that's got in there. I've never had a problem with my broad beans before. You stick them in, up they come. They're just so easy. Um, and I was I was shattered when I walked out <laughs> in the garden. I thought, that's funny. What are all these little holes everywhere? <laughs> um, and, yes, yeah, so something's gone in and had a huge meal. Um, you know, best part of two packets of broad bean seed went west. <laughs> so I bought some more, so I'll start sowing again this week and might see have if to I... protect them. Yeah, I may have to put something over it because I mean, once they've learnt, there's something there to eat. Oh, they'll, they'll be um, back. Yes. They'll probably be back. So I'll probably have to put some netting over it or something yes. like that until the seeds germinate. Yes. Uh, but the issue now is I've got some seeds that have come up, and I've either got to get rid of them and start from scratch again. Or because they're already germinating, so they're going to be a nuisance to the new seed I put in. No, they won't. No. You'll just have a couple of crops. No, but, no, but I mean, if I try and oversow the existing broad oh, beans, how do I protect yeah. them from the varmints with these seedlings that are already that big? I can't right. lay something over the ground. Yes, um, uh, without the seedlings that are already there getting punched about a bit. And I have found too, in uh, times past where I've had some sort of seed crop failure, if you oversow the same batch that are already underway, yep. often the new the, the new ones don't get as good a chance because they get overshadowed by mm. the older ones. Yes, right. And so they're not as good a plant. So I'm umming and ahhing whether I just start Pull from scratch. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's again. possibly what I might do is just dig under the ones that are still there. I mean, it's only about a third of the seed came up anyway, uh, and then just re-sow the whole damn lot. Yeah. Or move the, move the ones that are mm. there into one yeah, area. Yeah, can you transplant them too much hard work <laughs> yeah, yeah nobody out there can see the look on my face when i mean just for the time involved in all that sort of stuff it's yes. so much quicker sometimes just to, to just get in there again. and yes. do it yeah. um and i mean you know we all like to be reasonably economical but you know a packet of seeds not that dear mm. uh, at the end of the day so you know i see my time sometimes as perhaps more valuable because mm-hmm. i'd be off doing something else so uh, i'm likely to just dig them under and start again uh, but it's really frustrating when that happens i hate it oh, but yes. it's all part of gardening it is 
Okay, let's go to our next couple of callers. We have Jim, who's in Brighton. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, panel. We've just discovered salvias. Oh, have right. you? Well, you took a while, Jim. Congratulations. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> and we bought some salvia discolour. We've got three or four of those growing in the front garden. It's mm-hmm. one of my favourites. Beautiful. Mm. And they are covered with booties. Mm-hmm. Yes. And black and the, the black purpley flowers. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And about a metre high. Yep. We want to know when we cut them back and how much by. Well, when you cut them back is determined by your climate and the condition of the plants. I mean, they're not one of those plants that need to be cut back every five minutes or every year even specifically. While the plants are looking good, you can leave them alone. If they get a bit scraggly looking, then cut them back. But you will probably sacrifice flowers in the in the process, but that's fine. Mm. So, you know, I'd, I'd do it when, um, uh, when it seems appropriate. Okay. I mean, it's not a, a discolour is not one of those sort of herbaceous perennially salvias. It's more a shrubby one. So it can stay there for ages before you have to cut it back. And how much by? Well, you could cut, well, if you're going to cut it, cut it hard, because if you just trim the tops <laughs> off, you're just going to encourage it to shoot from where you've trimmed. So it's just going to shoot at the top. So if it's a bit leggy underneath, you're better to cut it right back and start it off again. Right, close to ground level. Yeah. That much? Yeah. Okay. Don't be frightened of salvias. Most salvias will tolerate, in fact, approve of quite heavy hacking back every so often. And they grow so damn fast, they'll replace themselves very quickly. Mm. Okay, that's good. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. bye. And enjoy salvias. I mean, they are a great group of plants. Oh, they're yeah. brilliant. So yeah. Yeah. No, uh, yes, fantastic. I planted salvia madrensis for the first time in the garden at home this year. I don't know whether it'll come through the winter. It's got these humongous leaves and it's grown to... I, I got it from Meg Bentley when we had oh, a yes. Christmas party out at Meg's with the Plant Trust people. Uh, and it was this little thing in a, in a, in a four-inch pot that, um, that Meg had propagated. And she had one in flower in the garden. It's just the most amazing thing with these sprays of yellow flowers and these huge, mm. big, soft green leaves. It's just gorgeous. So I bought this thing home at Christmas time, planted in the garden, and it sent up one stem that is nearly two metres tall now. It still hasn't shown any sign of a flower stalk yet. Okay. Uh, I've got a feeling the first frost will come in and knock it down to the ground before oh. I get a flower. But the foliage is beautiful. Right. Uh, and I don't know whether Madrensis is going to be hardy enough to come back again next year in my garden, but I think I paid Meg $3 for it, so it's worth a try. <laughs> oh, definitely. You know, I, don't, uh, I love experimenting with plants. I yep. mean, I've got things growing in my garden that massive that I shouldn't have. Mm. Uh, that have, I mean, I've got a philodendron salome, if it's still called salome, growing in the garden that's been there 20 years at Macedon. I mean, there can't be another one in the Macedon ranges. No. Anywhere. And it's perfectly fine. It came through last winter when some of my citrus trees were knocked to bilio. Um, I just found the right sheltered spot for it, and yep. it's perfectly happy. So who knows what you can grow? You've just got to try. Yep. Brilliant. Okay. Let's go to uh, Jan, who's in Richmond. Good morning, Jan. Oh, good morning, everybody. Um, be croaky this morning. Um, I just wanted to ask about my belladonna lilies. Mm-hmm. Um, the last couple of years, they haven't been doing great. Um, don't get a lot of... I've got a lot of bulbs, but I don't get a lot of flowers, got a lot of leaves. Um, and just somebody told me that I can dig them up, clean them up and replant them. Is that the case? And when? You can. Um Belladonnas are one of those things that normally thrive on neglect. If, mm. if they've gone off the flowering, yeah. uh, I would say they're either getting too shady or they're getting too deep. Oh, that, that could be the case. Because the belladonnas like to have their necks up out of the ground. Yeah. Oh, although a lot of them have got their neck mm. up out of the ground, yeah. yeah. What about all... light levels? Yes, plenty of light, plenty of sun, yeah. yes, Well, yes. if that's the case, dig them up. Uh, I'd do it right now. Yeah. Uh, even though they're about to shoot into leaf. Yeah, uh, they won't... have just started yeah. a little bit. Uh, but it won't hurt. You, uh, In theory, you should do it midsummer before they flower. Oh, right. Uh, okay. But you can't kill a belladonna. 
<laughs> so, I hope not. I love them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're lovely fl- yeah. flowers. I've got a couple of big clumps of the white ones in the garden at home, which have been stunning this year, and 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 a really dark pink one that's been really pretty. Um, the only issue I have with belladonnas is because when they die down, you've got to allow them to bake in the sun, uh, so you can't have too much stuff growing over them, and they do leave a big gap. In oh, a garden yeah, bed, okay. yep, um, yep. and uh, but yeah, look, I'd lift them up um, uh, when you plant them back. Though, don't plant individual bulbs back all on their own. Plant a handful of bulbs into the one oh, hole, together, and yep. make sure that the necks are well up out of the ground. Okay, can I just ask you about the canna lily? I think it is. <clears throat> the yellow and the, I've got a purpley one and all that. Is that what they call canna lilies? Mm-hmm. Uh, big tall things. Yes. Yeah, yes. with sort of banana-y like leaves. Um. Well, big rounded sort of leaves. Oh, not so much rounded. Um, yeah, well, I suppose you could call them. You know the old-fashioned white lilies with the yellow stem? Um, yeah, well, they're but, arum lilies. Yeah, well, they're, 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 they're sort of similar to that. But no, I think you're talking about calla, calla not canna. Oh, calla lily. Yes. Calla lily, yes. Oh. And they often have spots on the leaves. Um, yes, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yep. calla lilies. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. well, you do have to define this because cannas and callas are quite different <laughs> right. things. You know what, enough. I've written calla in front of me here, I might tell you. Oh, yeah. well, there you go. Um, now, I've planted those. I've got some of those nice, dark, chocolatey, oh, purpley yeah. colour ones, and yeah. I had a lot of yellow ones, but they seem to have disappeared from my garden, so... Um, I don't know whether I should dig around, try and find them, dig them up as well, or... Well, they should be still in leaf at this time. I mean, yeah. I've got some pink callas that are uh, starting to collapse now, but they're, they're still in foliage. Yeah, but um, a few of them just didn't come up this year, so yeah, I don't well, know. Well, if they didn't come up, there's a very good chance they're not there. Oh, OK. But, you know, again, look... Go in, see if you can find them. If you can find them, try lifting them and planting them into a bit of new dirt somewhere uh, and see how they go. I mean, it's a matter of finding the right spot. Again, callas are one of those things that if they're happy where you put them, they can stay in the ground for donkey's years without being disturbed, lifted, divided, anything like that. Uh, So um, I'm a great believer with bulbs that if somebody offers me one and they're in flower in their garden, I say, fine, you can dig it up for me now. Uh, because people never remember to do it when the bulbs are dormant or they can't find them. And (laughs) I've never lost a bulb that I know of by digging it when it was in active growth. Mm. Never. I'm just wondering if they might have rotted off or something. Well, they may have rotted in the ground. I mean, they may not be there now, but certainly if they're still around, uh, it's often easier to find them when there's still some evidence of them. And so most bulbs I'll lift when they're actively moving uh, because then I can find them. I'm less likely to stick a fork through them uh, because I know exactly where they are. Um, And so, and as I said, if somebody offers me something, I take it on the spot. Correct. Uh, (laughs) Might sound greedy, but... Living in Richmond, I don't have much uh, like a big garden, so I'm sticking things all over the place. But yeah. anyway, I uh, get the pleasure later. Thank you very much for your help. That's a pleasure. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Um, yes, those belladonnas, they're tough as anything, aren't they? I, oh, I, mean, yes. I think they're like agapanthers. They've yeah. grown concrete. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you'll find them where the house has gone, but and, and so there's no sign of a building left, and yet there'll but be this big right. clump of belladonnas. Absolutely, yeah. We dumped a huge um, pile of um, granite on, on our driveway and covered a patch of them, and, yep, they're merrily they coming up. up. <laughs> yep, <laughs> not fussed at all. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Uh, we've had another contact from Thelma. Uh, with regards to the chinchincheries, and apparently she's read a book or Googled something that says that they're too big for pot culture. They're only too big for pot culture if you're using small pots. So it's really dependent on the pot size. So, you know, it's just up to you. 
you know, uh, and if I were going to put chinchincheries into a pot, I'd want to put several in a pot mm-hmm. to make an impact. And I would start from, well, in the old measurements, at least an eight-inch pot, probably a ten, mm. um, uh, and uh, put three or four or five bulbs in a pot that size. Uh, and, I mean, when you're potting bulbs for colour in a pot, you always put more in the pot. Bo- pot than the normal suggested spacing would be yes. because you're trying to get the impact for this year. You don't want it to sort of be all gappy and spacey. No. So so that's what I would do with them. Um, so an 8 or 10 inch pot, 3 to 5, maybe 6 or 7 chinchincheries in the one pot. And yes, they do get quite large floppy leaves, but the leaves tend to well, get to their full maturity when the flowers are finished anyway, and you can shove them behind the shed then. Um, mm. So that should be fine. And I don't know whether it's Thelma or somebody else, there's a line between it so I'm assuming it's somebody else, just wanted me to mention again how big Cydonia sinensis grows. Uh, Of course, how big something grows depends on how long you anticipate living to a large extent. Uh, Eventual sizes of things don't perturb me particularly, but it's a small tree, so four, maybe five metres uh, so it'd be ideal for a, a smaller garden. But yes, it does make me laugh when people insist on asking how big something will grow, and I could be selling them a sequoia that takes 300 years to get there, <laughs> and yet they'll still want to know. And you think, well, what does it matter? You know, your house isn't going to last that long. You know, so yes, if you're planting a blue gum, you need to know how big it's going to get because it'll do it really quickly. But if you're planting a hue and pine, who cares? <laughs> You know, it really, really doesn't matter. Yep. Um, and certainly, you know, there are certain trees that are comparatively small. I mean, all these people have been planting magnolia little gem around everywhere have no sense of the fact that it actually isn't a little magnolia. It's just slower and more compact than um, classical magnolia grandiflora. But it's going to get big. It's going to get big. In due course, all those people in their Georgian mansions out in Turak and Hawthorne are going to need <laughs> miners' lamps. a nice lamps. little front hedge of them yeah. Yeah. that all is just above, peaking above yeah. the fence. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're all going to grow to towering great giant trees in time. But that shouldn't stop people planting them. They just need to be aware that at some stage along the track, either them or their grandchildren will have to deal with it. Um, they should and encourage they... their grandchildren to take up tree lopping then. Yeah, well, that's probably a good idea, <laughs> yes. James. Yes, yes, they should get all these aboriculturalists <laughs> in the family because it can get quite expensive. Um, but nonetheless, you plant for your own pleasure. Exactly. Uh, I mean, people who plant with the future in mind should be putting in botanic gardens, not necessarily private ones. Um, and people who worry about exact spacings and heights and, and things, I mean, you've got to have a sense of how something's going to grow, but you don't have to get panicky about eventuals. Because, mm. uh, you know, I've now been in my garden for um, about 30-odd years, uh, and I've been removing a few trees and things over the last few years that I put in at the beginning of my gardening career there. Um I have no compunction about it. I mean, I put the trees in. They're my trees. They're no longer doing what I want in my garden. Uh, so, therefore, they come out and I get a gap. What more could you want? You know, and, 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 and kindling and firewood, expensive firewood because you've sometimes got to get the tree surgeons in to deal with yes, it. Yes, very expensive. But nonetheless, it's all part of the, the whole gardening Absolutely. process. You know, yep. It's a journey. It's not yep. a destination. All these people who want things finished, I mean, goodness sake. <laughs> I should quickly mention I brought in some finger limes this morning. Now, Which got the most amazing flavour. bag yeah. full. Delicious. They are very intense, very mm. intense. So mm. you warned about that. A bit like that. us. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Perhaps they're not quite as loud, but yeah. anyway. Um, but one of the reasons why, unfortunately, I had to pick a whole lot is that we had very strong winds a couple of weeks ago. My tree has been so incredibly laden this year. Mm. I even had this one particular branch supported, but in that wind, the uh. branch snapped. So I've been forced to pick 
that whole branch full of, of finger limes. But, I mean, they were nearly ready. They will mm. get on the tree. They will get a bit bigger. Yeah. Um, but they are just stunning. They are so intensely lime. And, of course, you get the tiny little little balls inside. Yes, it's, yes. You just squeeze them out, cut it in half, squeeze them out. They make – chefs love them. They make the most fantastic little explosion of lime on top of oysters or something. Citrus caviar, I think Citrus caviar, yeah. yes, yeah. exactly. But the thing is that I've had this pot, this tree in the pot for quite a few years mm. now. It must be about – I think it first started producing at about six years of age, um, it's now about eight years of age. So f- from six, seven, eight, each year I've progressively had more fruit on yeah. it. It is, it is in partly shaded. It's not out in full sun. Mm. It's I, I haven't changed the pot or anything. It's in quite a big earthenware pot, but it's stayed in the same pot. And and it's a very happy little tree. It's um, fantastic. Are I, you feeding it? Um, yes, I do give yeah. it citrus food. Oh, yeah. 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 Because um, although it's actually a native, it is on citrus rootstock, mm. so I still give it citrus food. In but um, yes, just sparingly, twice a year, spring yeah. and autumn, and um, I don't have to do another thing to it. The birds don't. Oh, it's eat almost it. too easy, Pam. The <laughs> possums don't eat it. The birds don't eat it. So they survive beautifully. And uh, one day you'll just suddenly notice lovely flowers, very, very tiny flowers. So, so um, until you go up close to it, you suddenly think, oh, my goodness, it's all in flower because you don't see it from a distance. Mm. But, um, but yes, something fun to try. Citrus is one of those genera that everyone in Australia loves to grow, but it's, it's, you know, it's lemons and limes and occasionally an orange that people will grow. Mm. And you always get asked about it when you're a gardener and you're visiting friends and they go, yeah, you have to come and have a look at my lemon tree because yep. there's something <laughs> wrong with it. Mm. But the native finger lime is a cracking little plant. It's, it it's is. a good one for the suburbs because it doesn't get too big. It'll take a bit of shade. Yep. Um, and, yeah, it just fruits. It like is spiny. Mad. You it's... need to be warned it's spiny. Mm. So are roses. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, 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 I get really annoyed when people say they won't buy something because it has prickles on mm. it. Mm. And then I, I invariably ask, but have you got a rose bush? And invariably I'm they told have. yes. <laughs> and you think, why do roses come out of this without being uh, uh, <laughs> sort of hailed down or uh, howled down by people? I mean, I've just had one removed. Um, Is that, that what happened? Yeah, so I've got a big bandage on the back of my hand at the moment. They had to cut a huge piece of skin out mm. because what had happened was the end of it a rose hooked. thorn had gone down inside the skin and I was getting this strange sort of scab that was forming and then the scab would drop off and the skin was sealed. So my body's been trying to get rid Ejected. of this thing but it, it can't yeah. because it was actually under the skin right. and so they've actually had to cut the skin out to get right. the piece of rose thorn out. Um, so... Don't give me this rose business. You know, I mean, really. Uh, I am quite allergic to rose thorns. Are you? Yes. Well, I am now. <laughs> I think you're I mean, allergic had, to scalpels. Yeah, yes, I'm certainly allergic to scalpels. I had to take this whole piece of skin out and the doctor showed me. I'm going, I don't need to see that. You know, and yeah, He was just look, offering you to take it home for your corgis. I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, And underneath there was this tiny little foreign body. Yeah, it was it a minute little thing. It was yeah. just, yeah. I could hardly see it. I certainly couldn't see it without my glasses on. Um this wee little thing in under the skin. And so I guess my body would have kept trying to reject it again and again yep. and again. Mm-hmm. So I would have had this scab keep growing and dropping off. Yep. Uh, and it was just going to sit in there. Yep. Or unless it went into my blood flow and then went to my heart and killed me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so anyhow, so I've had a little surgical operation this week because of my gardening. Yes, well, so there, there you go. go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not fire all season, great. so wood collecting season, so <laughs> splinters all around for the yeah. next few months.
Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, I, I tend to try and dig them out with a needle and usually make a horrible mess. Yeah, well, I do the same, AB. You know, I, I, or, or I just let them fester and drop out of their own accord, which they'll do quite regularly too. Uh, dear. Well, I've never had a job as a hand model, so I doubt that I'm going to get one now. <laughs> I don't think gardeners make really good hand models sometimes. No, I don't think so. No, think so. no. Yeah, but anyhow, it's part of gardening. Okay, next week is Easter. <gasps> Yes. Already? Yes. Yes. Chocolate time. <laughs> <laughs> if you have dogs, don't do an Easter hunt. Mm. Well, I have a dog, but we, we do the Easter hunt in another part of the garden. Yes. Um, the Easter bunny leaves about 200 round our place. The children have a wonderful time. Well, they're not good for the dogs, and the mm. dogs always smell them out and find oh, yeah. them. Mm. Actually, we never find all the eggs, I might add, but the dog doesn't normally find them, but something certainly does, and I think it might be ants because you often find this this piece of silver paper. in foil. Yeah, yep. exactly the same shape as an Easter egg, funnily enough, and there's nothing inside. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, so I think the ants get uh, the extras that the kids don't find. But, yes, it's good fun. Easter's a lovely time, and, and hopefully we'll have a nice pleasant Eastery weekend. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. I actually won't be here next <gasps> Sunday. Shame on me. Um, but I'm happy to say Gwen and Roger will be back for the first time this year yeah. and Virginia will also be back online. So um, do tune in at the same time, 7.30, um, and then the following week I'll be back. So you can't get rid of me altogether. But anyway, <laughs> um, yes, so uh, in the meantime, um, tune in at 7.30. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.